You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Welcome back. It's the Wildcard Recap. Myself, Colin Kelly, and bringing you the show yet again. Obviously, you can follow us. It's the Overtime Ireland Podcast. You can follow it at Overtime Ireland. Uh, OvertimeIreland.com, the website. And as I mentioned, it is the Wildcard Recap. And I'm going to be joined to recap all the action as well as go through some of the news that happened this past week, like uh, Adam Gaze, what's going on there with Miami, the LA franchise move and so on. I'm going to be joined by Dave Larkin of FootballGuys.com. Really looking forward to having him on. He's another Irish guy. He's working for them. And uh, he's always very, very uh, knowledgeable about what's going on in the NFL. So I'm looking forward to uh, giving my thoughts, getting his thoughts and seeing how it takes us moving forward. As always, starting the show, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in, get over there, get subscribed, and uh, you can also stream it on OvertimeIreland.com. Of course, you are already listening to the show, but hopefully you have subscribed as well. Get the show instantly once it goes live each and every episode, two a week, uh, all the way through to the Super Bowl. Then after the Super Bowl, we'll see if it's one a week, whether it's one every two weeks, whatever we go, probably going to be one a week in the off-season. We'll see what happens there. Ran a competition this week with the UK American Sports Store. Their website is UKAmericanSportsStore.co.uk. UK. Good competition with them, and uh, it was for the wildcard weekend, obviously. It was to see uh, who was going to win. We had so many entries, uh, amazing response over the last couple of days over the wildcard weekend. And uh, it was for your choice of uh, merchandise from a section of their NFL range. And uh, the winner of that will be announced just after I finish up this talk with Davlar. But let's get straight into it with David Larkin. Let's recap this weekend's NFL action. It's the OTI Weekend Round. Joined back on the show by Dave Larkin. Uh, it's been a, uh, probably just uh, prior to the season, I think we had you on, and uh, we agreed on a lot of stuff. And maybe we're not looking all that uh, good now. We both, I think, agreed on the Baltimore Ravens making a, a little run here in the playoffs. Uh, that's definitely not happening. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the wild card recap and uh, lots of fun stuff to talk about. How's things going, David? Pretty good, yeah, Colin. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on, but uh, a lot has happened since then. The league changes so much. It's such a week-to-week thing, and uh, I think this wildcard round, there's certainly plenty to talk about. Yeah, obviously, you know, a lot of times when we come on, when I come on the show, I say, oh, what a great week of football, you know, because you have so many games. You have 15, 16 games to talk about in the recap, excluding usually the Thursday night game. So many good games be involved in that. You're always guaranteed four or five really good games out of the slate. But with there only been four games, we're quick to bounce in and say, you know, when you look back at what happened at the end of some of these games, the Entons were very good. The actual games, maybe not so much, uh, but there is certainly a lot of talking points. We'll start off with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals, this one in Cincinnati. And uh, there is so many talking points in this, but I guess we have to start with the way it ended with the field goal for the Pittsburgh Steelers to win it very late on. Even before that, Ben Roethlisberger goes down with an injury, looks like he's done for the game, looks like uh, you know he's done for uh, the rest of the season, as, as long as that lasts for the Steelers. He comes back out in the fourth quarter, leads the team to that field goal, and to get that field goal, there's a couple of uh, personal foul calls in there, uh, Burfecht and Jones involved. Do you want to take it from here and uh, give some insight into what you think all went down in that last kind of the fourth quarter was one of the craziest fourth quarters I've uh, I've seen in some time. It really was. It took um, divisional rivalry to a completely different level where coaches <laughs> are coming onto the field, uh, you know, with the brown hiss, uh, with perfect, and just it just went from crazy to crazier. Uh, the fact that Roethlisberger came back it was like something out of a movie or something, you know, like a crazy script and it looked like the Steelers had given it away and then Shazir makes that play and it's, you know, it was just an incredible game and I think it pretty much sums it up at the end when, um, uh, I think it was Carlos Dunlap of the Bengals, pretty much said the Bengals beat the Bengals and I think that quote is pretty revealing about what the, the mindset is maybe in their locker room. It's kind of you know, we get to this point and then something trips us up and we're to blame I don't know, that's kind of the a one-sided thing where it's coming from that team but uh, yeah the Steelers deserve a lot of credit too we'll see how Roethlisberger is going into this week but uh, uh, I think that the thing that stood out most to be honest for me was the fact that Pittsburgh was able to run the ball so well mm. considering that D'Angelo Williams was out which coming into the game people were, were kind of discussing that well they're not going to win this game now but uh, I think a lot of people point to the quarterback play uh, maybe say McCarron didn't do enough but I thought he, he performed pretty pretty well he didn't yeah. make a ridiculous errors or anything so yes i feel bad for the Bengals because uh, they had such a good season and dalton just couldn't play and you know it's just 
timing. Yeah, if they had gotten the bye, they could have gone to the Super Bowl. You know, it's 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 amazing the way it turned out, but crazy game. Yeah, it is really crazy. When you look back again, uh, the start of this game, the Bengals were struggling a lot on offense. Things weren't going. I know you mentioned McCarron there, but I didn't think it was all down to him. There was a couple of drops. There was some wayward passes. He had an interception that I think was down to him not understanding fully the weather situation, uh, and it was well under and easily intercepted. Um, but they were struggling. They were 15-0 down, kind of going into that fourth quarter. And you know, then they they come back at the sixteen points, and Ben Roethlisberger's out. It looks like all is going to go very well for the Bengals. But I think the real moment that let off the uh, the kind of touch paper, as you say, uh, was the Giovanni Bernard when he got that hit. You mentioned Shazir making the hit to finish the game. He did the hit. Uh, obviously, it was a legal hit according to the rules. Still, I think uh, when you go with the Crownier helmet, it's very very. Uh, grey area and you know if there was a flag thrown there I can't see too many people having an issue with it but I think that was the real moment that let it all off and even then we haven't even mentioned that uh, Ben Roethlisberger came back in it looked like he wasn't going to come in because he stays on the sideline after he comes on to uh, the field again onto the actual sideline again Landry Jones in the game things not going good for him and then when the Bengals did take the lead Ben comes back in and uh, just it was one of the, I think it was one of those things he was just like well if I'm going to get hurt here uh, you know I've four or five months to recover it was kind of one of those decisions I think from him because I don't think uh, medically he probably should have been on the field it seems like he has a sprained AC joint at this point in time and uh, we'll see if he can play this coming week but then when he's on Burfecht has the interception goes all the way from where he intercepts the ball down the tunnel <laughs> and uh, it looks like the game's yeah. over then Jeremy Hill gets the ball and uh, you know they're just trying to run out the clock they're up in Pittsburgh territory and uh, he fumbles it and then I think it was a minute and 23 seconds left they did have their timeouts and they get into field goal position they get into that field goal position after converting I think two fourth downs then you have the the perfect hit on uh, on Antonio Brown the hit itself um, what did you make of the hit itself anyway that there's no flag there do you think like you know even watching the replays I think he still uh, could have easily avoided hitting Antonio Brown in that situation. Yeah, I think it's one of those plays. Uh, Perfect is one of those players. He kind of plays on the edge. Yeah. Uh, 95% of the time it's okay. Then it's the 5% that it's not okay. That's the problem. So I think that was one of those borderline ones. And uh, then, of course, the melee that ensued afterwards and the, the back-to-back personal fouls and so on. So that did, as you say, kind of light the fuse for the the end of the game but just going back to the Jeremy Hill uh, just the game management at the end there and I know Hill has fumbled in the past but I just I can't understand why if you're a running back in that situation you don't just I mean you can try to get yards sure but just fall down you know you don't need to do anything exactly just fall down cloud of dust one yard whatever just I I just that annoys me when that happens that teams can't finish games like that and I know it's kind of uh, the Bengals might be saying oh well you know it always happens to us, but you know, I I just like to see them handle it a bit better there at the end. Yeah, you get the, you get the first down and the game is over because you've used their timeouts. But uh, Marvin Jones talking about it after he was questioned, were you in field goal position and should you went for just the field goal rather than that? He said he wanted to run out the clock and win the game. But you know, you you run the ball there three times, just run it into the pile and run into the back of your line. When you're not going to fumble it usually that way, you you use their three timeouts and Pittsburgh. You know, when they got to. The, uh, the chance to get the field goal they really needed all those timeouts to, to have a chance to, to get into field goal range even with the two 15 uh, yard penalties the second penalty I had a couple of discussions on Twitter um, I like to call them discussions rather than arguments but I thought the second one was very very harsh on the preview podcast I did pick the Bengals and I did uh, put my money where my mouth was on that I backed them on the money line and so uh, you can imagine this one was a, a tough one to swallow and uh, kind of furious after the game but I've calmed down a little bit now uh, having time to reflect on it all but just as a Bengals fan, what has gone on with that franchise over the last you know, 20, 25 years, it's been a tough time for them. They have had the success. The Cleveland Browns, for example, haven't had the success of getting to the playoffs, but each and every time they've gotten to the playoffs, it's been, uh, it's been tough, tough going for them, uh, losing each and every time. You mentioned as well the clock management, and we'll be talking more about that uh, in all these games, really, outside of the game... Uh, in Houston which will be the next one up but we've seen uh, Eddie Lacy have a fumble at the end of the Packers game and we've seen Adrian Peterson fumble it to allow the Seahawks to get that second field goal in their game so you just wonder time and time again you know just take care of the ball cover the ball up and don't fumble it in a key key spot it's amazing how many times it happens you think there's no chance it's going to happen again but time and time again it seems to happen 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of the time it comes down to players trying to do too much. Now, obviously, the defensive players, you know, make these plays. Like the Shazir one is a nice play. The Chancellor one on Peterson was a nice play. Uh, but you just have to be smarter in those situations and just accept what you get and just go down. You know, just no point taking a chance. And I know it's easier said than done, but you know, these things change games as we saw. Yeah, and I even tweeted out when the game was on that uh, the pass from AJ McCarron to AJ Green for that touchdown to go into the lead. I thought, uh, you know, that there was a, a clutch play by both of them, a big catch by your franchise wide receiver. And I thought McCarron at that point was really playing with confidence. As I mentioned, the early turnover, he was playing with, uh, you know, he looked a little bit maybe panicked, but uh, the second half looked a lot more composed. And I thought he uh, he wasn't the issue here for the uh, for the Bengals. The other thing you mentioned was the running game for the Steelers. I was very impressed with how it went. I thought going into it that they were going to struggle to run the ball, and uh, that wasn't the issue. I think the Bengals maybe had the same feeling and didn't respect the run game enough, but they they really did a, a good job running the ball on the ground without D'Angelo Williams in this one. And uh, the other point I wanted to make, we've mentioned Shazir. For, you mentioned him, and I have mentioned him as well. I thought he had a tremendous game. I think since he's, when he started off uh, at the start of his rookie season last year, I think it was he had a great start to the year. Then he faded off a little bit and was a bit inconsistent. But I think this year he has been a bright spot for uh, that, that Steelers defense, which at times can be very, very inconsistent. But I thought he really came and uh, had a yeah. big game for them here when, when they really needed a stop. Absolutely, yeah. And he's you know come back from injury this season as well. Yeah. And he's a player I've always liked personally. I, I looked at him back at Ohio State. I kind of said, oh, this is an NFL linebacker. This is this is a you know kind of a the new age kind of linebacker. Kind of can do everything sideline to sideline. You know, bake every tackle. A little bit inconsistent at times, but I think they've got themselves you know a pretty solid group of uh, players now on defense that they could build around. Cam Hayward as well has had a really good season. So I think the the, the game against uh, Denver is going to be really interesting next mm. week. I know we have a bit of foreshadowing there, but. Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the Ben Roethlisberger news. We'll see how he is. He's reported day to day, but you know, I'd imagine if it was a regular season game, it might be a little bit longer. But obviously, there's no point in being week to week at this point of the season. Uh, obviously, D'Angelo Williams too. Yeah. If they get him back, it would help. But they've done a good enough job. But there's a big difference. Uh, I do like some of the pieces on the Bengals defense, but there's a big difference between Denver and the Bengals this season. And uh, you met perfect, you know, he kind of had a game where he was turning himself into uh, a bit of a hero up until that personal file because he had the interception. He had the tackle that actually um, put Ben Roethlisberger out of the game. He actually was the person who put uh, Bell out of the game this season too. So he, he's had a bit of a reputation yeah. with Steelers fans and it looked like he was endearing himself a lot to the, the Bengals fans. But, uh, you know, just uh, poor decision making from him on that one. They do go to Mile High Stadium this coming week to uh, face the Broncos. Next up, Kansas City Chiefs, and this was a walkover from start to finish. Started off with an early Niles uh, Paul kick return, and uh, from there it just stayed steady in the way of the Kansas City Chiefs finishing 32-0. A shutout against the Texans. The Texans at times this season haven't put up that many points, but they have been consistent on defense, and uh, over I think it was the last nine games they had held five opponents to less that are six points or less. And this game, they did not hold the, the Kansas City Chiefs to anything less than 30 points. So overall, I thought Alex Smith had a consistent game. I thought Brian Hoyer maybe a little bit panicked after how the game started. He had a number of turnovers in this one. And really, uh, even at halftime, I thought there was a chance that the Ch- Texans could come back because the Chiefs hadn't put them away. They had so many turnovers. They had so much of the ball. I think at halftime, it might have been a 13-point lead, I believe. And um, I thought there was still a chance because there were only two scores. But the Chiefs took care of business in the second half. Uh, Jerry Macklin going down with an injury in this one. Looked like a knee injury, and he looked very upset on the sideline. Looked like it could have been, you know, he had already tore, I think it was his right ACL, and it was a right leg injury, but it uh, turns out to be a high ankle sprain. So there is a possibility he could be back for this next game, but uh, in his absence, uh, you know, um, I was about to say Tyler Eifert, uh, Kelsey had a monster, monster second half of the game. Overall, your thoughts on the game, and uh, you know, I guess we'll just say the Texans didn't turn up, but Kansas City Chiefs, how much credit are you putting on them for this performance? Yeah, I think they they have to be given a lot of credit. They're they're just a very efficient team that really is built for these kind of games, um, where the game can just get on their script, and if they can keep it that way, things get very comfortable for them. They can, you know, their defensive front is good enough to give any team trouble. Uh, they have a decent running game. Alex Smith is not going to kill you, and that's the key in the playoffs, as we've discussed with turnovers. Um, about Hoyer, it's it's just... Uh, I, I was watching the game, and I was saying, when are they going to make the change here? Because he clearly just... The confidence just wasn't there. 
He only completed four passes that traveled more than 10 yards in the air the whole game. Yeah. And, of course, J.J. Watt got injured, and then you knew well, at that point it was over. But I agree with what you said. I mean, at halftime, if Houston, that, that key turnover that Hoyer had in the, the red zone, I think yeah, it was on the five-yard line. That, that, yeah, it was just awful. I mean, <laughs> if you get any points there, you never know. You know, it's, it's just one of these games where you think there's going to be a momentum swing because the NFL games, most games are like that. There's going to be some kind of momentum swing. One team is not going to just completely throttle the other team but yeah. in this case that's what happened and big statement win by the Chiefs um, I think they have the formula to give New England trouble um, I, I think it could be a very interesting game as for Houston kind of back to the drawing board for them they still need their quarterback and with how quickly Bill O'Brien made quarterback changes this season I'm kind of surprised he didn't go to Whedon sooner in the game uh, so I feel like that could have given them a spark and maybe things could have turned out differently but I guess the Chiefs would have won anyway. Yeah, after all, though, it is uh, Bratton Whedon that was the, the backup. Maybe that's why yeah, it took exactly. so long to make Had that change. <laughs> but uh, overall, I thought, you know, the Chiefs have been running the ball very well. We know the formula they're going to play. If the Patriots were to come out in the game this coming week and, you know, go 14 nil up, you have a huge problem for the Chiefs. I say that before this game with the Texans. If they went out and went behind, they're in trouble because I find when they're behind, they struggle to make back up those points. But if they get into a situation, as you mentioned, the game script suits them perfectly, run the ball, uh, you know, get Cairo Santos on the field and take your field goals every single drive. Uh, but I think eventually that'll come back to hurt them. But I think... They, uh, with the way they're just playing and there was a run in this actually too called back Alex Smith with a, I think it was a 64 yard run that got called yeah. back for Holden so you know he, he's been very good not usually to that effect but on the ground recently he's been very very consistent picking up first downs and so on so I think overall there's a good there and we didn't even mention the defense the defense completely shut down the, the Texans you know some of the players have been just absolutely sensational for them this year it's uh, hard to start naming names without going through them all they just have been so consistent Eric Berry Back uh, from his off- or illness last year, he's made the Pro Bowl. Peters, uh, Tamba Halley, there's just so many of them. Mar- or Houston, just going around them. There's a, a lot of you know game records there, and I just think they're they're a surprising team because of how they started that one and five start. But they're on such a roll at the minute. The confidence has to be sky high. The one problem I have with them is just I think at times they're very very conservative, and I think in the playoffs I suppose it can help you uh, not make mistakes, but it can also help you not get enough points on the board to uh, win the game overall. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. I mean, it, it pretty much comes down to that kind of formula for them. And, and what they've done in a lot of games is they've kind of come out their first twenty plays. They've been very aggressive. They've kind of taken a few shots downfield. They try to establish the early lead, and then they kind of go into their shells a bit. Yeah. But the formula continues to work for them against these inferior opponents. We'll see what happens next week. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, really stood out on it. This was really well pointed out by the the uh, TV announcers as well was how well Kansas City called their plays early in the game to offset any kind of pass rush, and especially yeah, yeah. to take Watt out of the game, basically, with a lot of option stuff. Uh, they ran the sweep across the formation, basically left Watt unblocked, and just kind of you know used the aggressiveness of Houston yeah, yeah. against them. And I thought that was a masterful job by Andy Reid. He gets a lot of heat for you know his kind of game management and how poor it is, but that, was, that first 15 plays really, really set the tone, and... You know, it was an excellent job by him. Yeah, we we seen that, and then obviously Watt got injured late in the game. But before that injury, I guess uh, a lot of people probably thought of it at the time. But you know, you take JJ Watt onto the field down at the goal line. Just pr- that's, this was just prior to that uh, interception by Hoyer, just before halftime. Took JJ Watt on, run a bit of wildcat with Vince Wilfork as the lead blocker. Was that one of the worst play designs that you've ever seen? Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as that Colts one. Yeah, that's the one uh, that came into my head. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it was very strange. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of summed up Houston's uh, desperation, I suppose. Uh, I thought when I saw him coming out of the field, I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, tight tight end, yeah. throw to him, maybe. Yeah. But no. Uh, yeah, it just make, doesn't make much sense. You know, he's not the cutback style. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, uh, and once they saw him coming into the game, you, you can pretty much tell it's going to be a run then. So. And uh, when you throw it before, so yeah, when you see when you see um, you know them coming onto the field, there's a lot of situations. Even before that, um, was it? I think it might have been Nate Washington or Cecil Shorts around a wildcat play as well. There's been a lot of smoke and mirrors in the red zone this year from uh, the Texans. Maybe it shows just you know the quarterback situation that they don't have enough confidence down there and higher. A lot of his touchdown passes have come from you know thirty, forty yards out and long passes to to DeAndre Hopkins. But uh, just yeah. when they get down there, you know, they're starting to they get there with higher, and then they're starting to pull all these gimmicks, and uh, it just didn't work out for them here. And then I think it was a play or two after that there that higher threw that interception. And at that point, I think, as I mentioned, it was 13-0. It was just before halftime. 
get a touchdown there, even a field goal. But if you got a touchdown there, Houston were getting the ball to start the second half. As you mentioned, it could have been a huge momentum swing both for the, the crowd and for the team's confidence going into the locker room. But it wasn't to be, and they were uh, absolutely dominated by the Chiefs. Massive win for the Chiefs, their first uh, playoff win in uh, over 20 years, I believe. And, um, you know, they, they were so close to beating the Colts a few, two seasons ago, was it, that Alex Smith had that huge game against uh, the Colts yeah. in Indianapolis and Andrew Luck raised them from the dead. So they, they've been very unlucky in a couple of occasions and they made sure that uh, they weren't going to be unlucky in that scenario. A team playing very similar football all season long to the Kansas City Chiefs. I've compared them on a number of occasions. The Minnesota Vikings, they were desperately unlucky this week. Uh, played really, really good defense all throughout the game. And really up until that fourth quarter against the Seahawks, looked like they were going to advance. And even in the fourth quarter very late on, it looked like that too. Uh, they lose 10 points to 9 points, the lowest scoring game of the week. And um, just Blair Walsh, unfortunately for him, he, he had three field goals in this. Looked very, very consistent throughout with those field goals. And then, fortunately for him, the game on the line. And uh, I think it was uh, one of the commentators had a great line after that you can never practice a three-foot putt to win the Masters title. And you can never practice a field goal from 20 yards out to uh, win a playoff game so just I don't know if it was the pressure that got to him what happened but he, he missed it wide left and uh, a very very tough loss in the end for the Minnesota Vikings yeah this was this was devastating I mean uh, you could see the reactions of the fans as the field goal missed and it's just you can't you know you just can't fake it it's just it's incredible the way these games turn out but you know, I'm not buying this whole "it's the laces" argument. No, I think no. he just—I think he just choked. I think that's what it came down to. And um, on one hand, you can kind of say, "Well, kickers, you know, shouldn't be deciding these games. You should be in a position where you don't need to rely on your kickers." But just the way the, this team plays, as you alluded to, Minnesota is very close to the best, like yeah. the Chiefs, yeah, um, Seattle's sort of the same, uh, especially in this game. But uh, the Vikings—they're going to look back on this one because this, you know. It's a it's a crushing crushing loss. I mean, Seattle played well, and you know we saw the momentum plays and everything. But uh, just I don't know. I just it's hard to it's hard to take when it comes down to a kicker missing. Yeah, obviously the Seahawks fans listening to this will be very happy this week. But I'm sorry, Seahawks fans, uh, you devastated my Packers last year with that comeback in the NFC Championship game, and I think. Uh, your luck ran out in the Super Bowl but then a bit of luck for you this time again we'll see where it runs out this time I thought overall the Vikings defence were absolutely superb uh, you mentioned Blair Walsh in the missed field goal and I guess we have to talk about it when the field goal before that to give them that uh, third field goal there was a, I think it actually it actually looked like on the replay that there was a possibility that Sherman might have actually got a tip on it but it still went through uh, maybe he maybe just a little bit of a mind of who's coming off the edge and maybe a little bit of that and he, he tried to put it a little bit more to the left so he would be able to avoid whoever comes around the edge of Sherman again maybe something like that just got into his head after that uh, third field goal I don't know but uh, it did go wide but it's just a, a devastating loss for the Vikings and the Vikings obviously won the division this year over the Packers uh, so I'm obviously not a Vikings fan but I have to say uh, I was a little bit uh, gutted for them after the way this one finished out Seahawks uh, in the fourth quarter the, the key play of this game I really think was the uh, the botch snap to Russell Wilson that kind of goes 10 or 15 yards behind him he picks it up looks like it's going to be like a 20 yard loss uh, eludes the defender tosses it to Tyler Lockett who's open turns it into a 35 yard gain so that there in total it could have been a net loss of 20 yards he gains 35 yards in the play so it's a swing of a basically a 55 yard swing and that's what led to the uh, Doug Baldwin touchdown so do you think that was the the actual I know the field goal was missed to make it the very very key play but the the big swing play for Seattle I think was that one yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and how does Seahawks Wilson, time just, and time again? Wilson does it. <laughs> I know it's crazy. He is unflappable, though. You have to give him a lot of credit. He's he really plays the position. It's such a he's such a cool character. Like when that happens, a lot of players would just fall on that ball yeah, and just yeah. say, "All right, plays over. Let's punt." Instead, he's just you know the the baseball mentality kind of slides down, gets the ball, comes back up. Uh, Lockett uncovered. That happens when you know defenses lose their integrity yeah. when yeah. Uh, when they think the play is over. So. Uh, and, that, and once that happened, you knew that Seattle would go on and win. I mean, and then of course the Peterson fumble—that's another key play. But that—that's the kind of play that changes the game. And then of course the easy touchdown uh, once again to the red zone. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing when you look back at the play. Captain Munnerlin looks like he has contain and looks like he's about to tackle Wilson. He just over pursues just yeah. that little inch that gives him a chance to get outside. And then you know, that happens. But um, <laughs> he, incredible so- stuff like. It, He's so, Sorry, so, he's so, so elusive. Uh, he, I just, 
whatever way he kind of can contort his body, whether it's that he's a little bit smaller than the regular quarterbacks, but he's just so athletic too to get away from those plays. And it, that there one is a, an extreme example of it happening, but he does it time and time again throughout the flow of the game where the offensive line maybe lets him down and uh, he can kind of spin away, turn turn around out the back uh, of the off the offensive line or else go to his right-hand side and roll out. He just does it so many times, and uh, he is a saviour for this uh, Seattle Seahawks uh, organisation. Just looking at uh, some of the stuff that happened in this game as well, Doug Baldwin had a, a third-down conversion in this game, a one-handed touchdown grab, shades of uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, has to be one of the most uh, spectacular grabs of Doug Baldwin's career, but an amazing third-down conversion there that happened. There was just so many things that went the Seahawks' way in that fourth quarter, and... Uh, you know, again, no Marshawn Lynch in this one. We'll see if he's back this coming week. But Seahawks are just a team that they always just seem to get the job done, uh, whether it looks pretty or doesn't look pretty, but a, a big, big win here for them. And they, they continue on. Their success over the last basically four seasons has been pretty much incredible. Back-to-back Super Bowl years, won it once, lost it at the very end once, and uh, looked like they're right back in with a shot at uh, getting back there yet again. So, just uh, Pete Carroll and his team there have just done an absolutely sensational job. But this Vikings team's very, very young. They've had a, you know, a nice season last year. They started to build this year. They win the division, and I think they'll be uh, very, very consistent for the, a number of years to come. Zimmer's done a tremendous job in his two years as head coach. Uh, really has that defense playing well. So it was just, just I think they done pretty much everything right, uh, but they just didn't get the ball in the end zone on a number of occasions. And then, of course, I mentioned ball security at the end of the game Adrian Peterson with another fumble he's had a you know in the playoffs he's had a couple of big fumbles and he's had them during the regular season too he had six fumbles in the regular season it was the highest in the NFL it's amazing how much for such a you know a star running back so consistent at everything else the the fumbling issue still uh, still remains but do you think it's down to the number of carries or do you just think it's down to uh, maybe luck of uh, losing the ball bad luck losing the ball on those occasions yeah, it's a good question because obviously the volume of work he gets is huge, but I, I think even with the volume, his per snap fumble rate is very high for a player of his caliber, and I think that's going to be you know, a blight on his career. When we look back at the end of it, we'll say, well, he had all these great runs, da, 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 but he had a lot of fumbles, and a lot of them were key You know, at the times like this. Um, no questioning the talent. Incredible player. He didn't get going in this game, but yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's, it hurts, you know, you just can't do it. And I think a stat came up um, on the TV just the second after the fumble that he's something like, I think, the second or third, he's got the yeah, second or third highest active uh, running backs. Yeah, yeah, after, yeah, of active players, after quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible, really. Um, well, that and, there, and someone said it was to do with the uh, the elbow, uh, the kind of elbow pads he was wearing, but I, I don't know about that. I think, I think they just had uh, great imagination. I did hear that point as well. He wears rubber yeah. elbow pads rather than, you know, cloth and... I, I don't think that's the issue. Maybe, maybe scientifically it is, but I think I'll just not yeah. not agree with that. But uh, the next game up, um, and it's the Green Bay Packers. The winner last week of the division got to play the Seahawks, and we look. It looks now like that wasn't a great prize for the winner. I mentioned that in the preview show. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, on the other hand, lost the division, but they got to travel to Washington to face the Redskins. Watching this game as a Packers fan, it did not look good for the first quarter. It looked like just what we've seen over the last maybe eight or nine weeks it's been that long now but uh, they're 11 points down and a key key play in this game it was obviously the early safety and uh, after that then they, they, they had the defense held the Redskins to a field goal but after that there was a chance for uh, Deshaun Jackson to get a touchdown and rather than extend the ball over the line he kind of casually decides to try and walk into the end zone and haha Clinton Dix makes a play to just nudge him enough that the ball did not cross the pylon uh, that there for me was the, the real key in this because if they had a given up another four points on that play it would have just been uh, very very tough to come back from because the Packers offense had looked so so poor at that stage and after that they really kicked into a different gear and uh, picked up a couple of first downs uh, some of them via penalty and some of them via just uh, good plays but in the end up the Packers winning 35 to 18 they were really they really played with a confidence in the second half and it just it didn't look like uh, anything like the Packers that we've seen over the last as I mentioned nine or ten weeks amazing isn't it it's so it's such a game of moments yeah. the little moments that jackson play that would change that would completely change the game if that had gone the other way yeah. i mean it, it's such a small thing just reach the ball across to sean you know don't, you don't have to be clever like you don't have to flip the ball behind you when you're about to cross the goal line and you're about to score like you did before you know it's it's simple it's it's these little things and yeah i completely agree 
the Packers, they got their swagger back. And you could tell, as soon as Rodgers started going to the no huddle, things kind of got a little quicker. He caught them in a couple of 12 men on the field. Yeah. Um, the receivers seemed to be kind of feeding off that, and the, the confidence was back. You saw that winning smile from Rodgers, which I'm sure you were loving. <laughs> loving. And, uh, you know, the Redskins fans were, you know, chanting, you like that and so on. But, you know, it, this was a... This, this this came down to experience for me more than anything. It's it's just kind of you know eye of the storm stuff from Rodgers on the offense. Uh, the pass protection was excellent the whole game, apart from the JC Treader mistake. And yeah. by the way, he did really well. Yeah, you have he to give him credit. Yeah, yeah uh, that was that was an incredible performance. And then of course they get the running game going, and then that just feeds everything else. So you know they they weathered the storm early, and like an experienced playoff team, they got through it to the other side, and they advanced next week, and it's fully deserved. Yeah, you mentioned Treader there. You know, there's not many people who play center in the NFL. Whether they played any other position in college across the offensive line, they could step in at left tackle. And uh, at the start of the game, it looked like it was going to be a really tough uh, day for him. It looked like maybe McCarthy should give him a little bit more help, maybe put a tight end in there, maybe put John Coonan behind him earlier to to try and give him extra help. But uh, he really settled in after that, and I have to say, huge credit has to go his way because left tackle is not an easy position to play. Um, When you're looking then at the rest of this game, and I just wanted to mention, when you mentioned about uh, Deshaun Jackson, all he had to do was put the ball over the line and he didn't have to flip the ball. I don't know how, and I mentioned this on Twitter, that people had already forgot about it. Talking about people flipping into the end zone, uh, that Martavis Bryant uh, touchdown catch, one of the, oh, one yeah. of the most uh, ridiculous catches I've seen. Uh, it's basically since that Odell Beckham Jr. touchdown, but amazing, amazing play. Still not convinced that he fully had control of the ball, but uh, just your thoughts on that. <laughs> I don't know how we skipped over Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how he did. There was just so much in that game. You know, it's, it's you actually forget yeah. that there were a lot of good plays made as well. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, it was incredible. I mean, they call him the alien, and yeah. when he makes plays like that, you know, you kind of go, "Wow." You know, you, how do you how do how do you when you catch a ball, kind of say to yourself, "All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pin it to my body, flip over, while at the same time maintaining control." And well, that's debatable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. He, he is such a He's such he just oozes talent, that guy. I mean, he, he's got such high upside. And and the fact that Roethlisberger came out before the game and kind of challenged him and said, you know, oh, we need to see more from you. And yeah. then, you know, he showed up. So yeah, incredible, incredible catch. And I did tweet that out that people had already forgot about it, but uh, I I actually had forgot about it myself. Up until you mentioned Deshaun Jackson there, but and uh, this game a lot of Randall Cobb in the backfield and. Was straight, it was just such a strange way that the, the confidence just it was like a pulse going through the team that it started to get confident. Rodgers was getting confident making calls. I think the key did was, you know, you mentioned him getting 12 men on the field. He'd done that uh, twice, and then he hit a couple of ones where he still got the five-yard penalty for the, uh, you know, uh, encroachment from the defense. So they were getting, you know, first and five on occasions. They were getting, you know, second and four you know, third and ones, and they were converting, and they had been very bad in third downs this season. But they had John Coon in there and Randall Cobb in the backfield for a lot of that uh, second half, and they were just getting confidence converting those short yardage situations. Because watching Packers games over the last three months, basically, they've had a lot of third and nines, third and elevens, third and sevens. They just weren't getting the short yardage, and that is a real key to having success. And then uh, even at the end of this game. I asked for bold predictions for the, the wild card games before they started, and uh, we had a couple of tweets in for Devontae Adams to, to make a catch. So uh, he, he came up big at the, uh, at the end of that uh, second, or the first half, sorry. He had a big sideline catch for a big gain, and then he actually caught a touchdown after that. So he turned up, and he was like an off-season darling this year. Everyone was pumping him up when Jordy Nelson went down. Everyone thought, oh, it's okay, we have Devontae Adams. But had a few big playoff games last season, particularly against the Dallas Cowboys, and he, he showed up big here when he was needed. He has an injury after this one. We'll see how he is to go this coming week. But uh, a big win for the Packers when they were 11 points down. I didn't think they were going to turn it around like this. And I have been uh, saying for a lot of time over the past uh, you know three or four weeks that the offense hasn't been good. But I think this defense has been underrated the numbers mightn't show us how much success they're having uh, and the Cardinals game will probably skew that a little bit but I think Clay Matthews at inside linebacker a lot of people saying they need to put him back outside I think he's been very very consistent in there and Don Capers just kind of had him running stunts and blitzes all night long and he put a lot a lot of pressure onto uh, Kurt Cousins and then of course I think they finished the game with six sacks in total so the the defensive line had a had a major major game um and the, the, the cornerbacks, although they are very young, are having a good season as well. And 
I want to mention the other uh, Redskins player that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Jordan Reed. He finished the game with, uh, I think it was 113 yards and a touchdown. And Although he did have a big, big impact on the game, and it was Micah Hyde was covering him. I thought Micah Hyde done a tremendous job as well covering him. Uh, he had a number of plays that he broke up, but it's just hard to keep a good player like uh, Jordan Reed on, quiet on a consistent basis. Absolutely, yeah. Reed was the standout player for the Redskins, but not many other players did much else. So Cousins had to settle for a lot of checkdowns, and you know he's actually been, as we as uh, the stats show, he's been the most uh, accurate or at least the highest completion percentage uh, yeah. quarterback in the the NFL this year. So you would have expected a bit more, but yeah, you're right about the Packers defense. Um, that's something that you have to bring up because they have kind of been the steady force while the offense has kind of been a little bit, you know, on the the down downer. So. Um, uh, Hayward and Clinton Dix especially played really well. Uh, Rollins, uh, one of the rookies, yeah, yeah, playing very well as well. And I think this kind of sets up in- interestingly now for next week because the Packers, you know, they've got depth at defensive back. And I know the last game against the Cardinals didn't go so well, obviously, but um, they, they certainly can compete with these receivers. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a different Packers team next week against uh, Arizona. Yeah, well, the game in Arizona previously got out of hand very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, the, just nobody really turned up for the second half. But I think it's going to be an interesting game. But it's all going to come down to if the offense can play anywhere similar to what they did in this game. Because if they play like they have been for the last 10 weeks, um, they're not going to have a chance, even if the defense has an amazing game. That's the thing that you would uh, be worried about. You know, you take a sample size, you take uh, three quarters of one game, or you take basically ten previous games. It's very hard to think that, oh, it, just because they have confidence now, it's going to be the exact same as what happened in the Washington game. But maybe it is. Maybe it was a big turning point, and it could have been as simple as being down to confidence because we've seen players over the last couple of weeks, players like Randall Cobb, players like Adams, players like James Jones, just not making catches, not making simple catches on uh, easy throws, easy completions, and even uh, it was a free play after the offside penalty, but uh, the touchdown to Randall Cobb, uh, he caught that, and there was a lot of pressure on him and that there from the defensive back, so I just think they were just a little bit more confident in their catches and their ability, and uh, maybe it is as simple as that, I'm not quite sure, we'll see what happens when they face the Cardinals, but that is going to be a very, very tough game for the Packers, obviously on the road, the Cardinals have been tremendous this year. The Packers this season, one thing that has been consistent is they've been running the ball pretty consistently, although they didn't run it as much in the first half last night, but in the second half, uh, when the defense starts to tire, Eddie Lissy's having a good bit of success, and James Starks, you know, in that third, fourth quarter range, running the ball, so it'll be interesting to see if that works against the Cardinals, but Cardinals defense and the, the Washington Redskins defense is two very very different uh, categories uh, this season yeah. um, just on Kurt Cousins obviously out of contract now this off season and uh, RG3 it showed him in the field a few times last night uh, it's been a tough year for him he'll probably uh, be out of there I'd imagine even though they have picked up his option and then uh, that leaves Kurt Cousins in, out of contract I'd imagine he'll come back to Washington but how do you see that all playing out, and how do you see uh, the kind of what sort of contract do you think he's going to get? I would imagine something in the twelve, thirteen million a year range, with kind of more front loaded rather than giving him anything in those last years. In case it just turns out to be a one year thing for Cousins. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a really interesting discussion um, for Cousins' agent versus the Redskins in general here. Um, I think what they probably will do is they'll go with the kind of Dalton Kaepernick model yeah, of contract, right. where yeah. it's yeah, there's kind of a, there's escalators built into it, where you know it's kind of a, almost a year to year deal. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Cousins would take that because it, it's kind of a proven situation as well, and he hasn't, although he's played really well this season, he hasn't fully proved it to a lot of people yet. So. I think that that kind of contract uh, structure would work quite well, but um, there's no doubt that they have to try to keep him. They have to do everything they can. He he come out and said today something like he wants to go somewhere where he's wanted, yeah. which is kind of a strange line. But, yeah, it was weird. Um, yeah, it was weird. It's like you don't want to be here. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, great season. Um, hopefully, they can build on this because uh, that division, you know, it's winnable, and they could see themselves back in the playoffs next year. Yeah, well, I thought, you know, they, they won that game against the Bucks later on. That's where the whole you like that thing started. If they had lost that, they were going oh. into their bye week. And I thought that uh, if they had lost to that Buccaneers team, I think they might have been, at that stage, 1-4 and 
four, something around that mark. And I thought that uh, Gruden's job was under real threat at that point. And uh, they win that, and it's a big difference uh, as to how their season progressed at that point. Um, you know, you mentioned the crowd as well, Sin, there when they were 11 up, they were saying, you like that? All the Packers fans were having a little bit of fun after that. And then after the game, Randall Cobb even said it in the, the locker room <laughs> as he walked in. Yeah. So they were having, it, sometimes it comes back to bite you. But you mentioned him saying the comment about he wants to be somewhere where he's wanted. Well, if you look at, you know, the, the Redskins handed out, you know how the Steelers have the terrible towel, well they handed out the uh, yeah. Redskins towel and they had you like that written on it, the crowd were chanting that, I, I really don't know where that comment's come from, whether he just felt a bit down after the game or what happened but uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. I, I'm just not sure but it just seems like a, a strange comment for him to say that because the Redskins seem to be absolutely in love with him at the moment but I think the Redskins point of view, they're going to be a little bit conservative because we do know what happened with RG3 although it was injury related you know, to go from that rookie year to where he is now so I think they'll be a little bit cautious as to how uh, that contract is structured. Uh, other news this week is uh, Adam Gaze is now the head coach down in Miami. Big hire for them. He was offensive coordinator with the Bears this year. He was also with the Broncos uh, the year before with Peyton Manning. And uh, there's been talk, you know, how you know the West Coast offense and so on, different offenses. Well, he just uh, they were calling it he is the Sea Coast offense because whatever he sees in the quarterback, he just tries to bring out their best strengths and obviously. They'll be hoping that that works with Ryan Tannehill. He made an interesting comment uh, when he was doing his press conference and that he thinks that Ryan Tannehill just needs somebody who has his back and has confidence in him. So looks like Gaze is going to be the man to uh, try and turn that around. And obviously, with the money they've invested in Tannehill in the offseason, uh, that's what they need going forward. So uh, what did you make of the hire and uh, how do you think that there helps uh, Tannehill going forward? Yeah, I think it's a good hire. I think the Dolphins um, like to be seen to be getting kind of the the candidate that is the hotter candidate that most people are talking about. And the NFL actually releases a kind of a list every year of the potential head coaching candidates, and uh, Gase's name appeared on that list. So, you know, they went to interview him. They they figure he's kind of the player's coach. He's certainly been able to get the best out of every uh, quarterback, especially that he's uh, been coaching. So, you know, you get the uh, the hot young guy, so to speak. And uh, um, yeah, I think I think Tannehill does need um, a bit more guidance because clearly the ability's there. There's just something missing, and I think Gase should be able to get it out of him um, if he can keep Cutler to minimum mistakes uh, he can do the same with Tannehill and maybe this Miami team you know will be considered obviously the the uh, whipping boys so to speak in the division compared to the Patriots and Jets and, and Bills who all kind of came on strong this year but uh, if they can get the formula right on offense I, I think they can be a lot better and uh, yeah I think Gase very interesting hire by them yeah and it's one of those situations as well where you look at it uh this season I'd imagine on the t- show I'd done with you that we were picking them for big things this season we were previewing the season yeah. and I think uh, they have the talent there it's going to be interesting to see how they do it the other thing to watch this season is Lamar Miller out of contract whether he stays or whether he goes I think for him well maybe now if he gets uh, Adam Gaze and it might help him help him as well but it, you know I just think that uh, they haven't used him right at all it'll be interesting to see what happens with him other situation is the LA situation and who ends up there obviously we have three teams in the Raiders the Rams and the Chargers all interested a meeting coming up this coming Wednesday as to what the outcome is likely to be but I've said it uh, you know the last couple of weeks in the show that I think the just the time frame that's left now would be very very rushed to move a team to LA before next season I think you know to, to make a decision now and then wait to after the the coming season to move would probably be the right move, but I think then the fan base might have a bit of a revolt as well. What do you think is the likeliest outcome going forward, and what do you think they should do, uh, move straight away or wait another season? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think the move, if they can, will be made this off-season, and I think they'll try to have the teams in place for 2016. Um, I read today that there's a $550 million fee that the team has yep, to pay yep. to relocate, which is quite sizable. It's not cheap. Uh, <laughs> no, it's certainly not. Uh, also, it's interesting to note that um, the team that doesn't get LA, and the, the, the assumption is that it's going to be the Chargers and the Rams, and the Raiders will stay. The Raiders will be given basically a new stadium. Um, they'll be given a lot of kind of the league will take care of them, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I think the Chargers are more more or less a certainty to move because of their situation with their stadium, the lease being running out, the fans not showing up, uh, the lack of success in the team, and the Rams as well. As for the LA teams, I'm not really sure how it's going to work out. I mean, a lot of people who are from that area uh, that I've talked to or that I've heard from have basically said that, well, it's kind of 
it's a place where there's a lot of displaced people yeah, where yeah, they already yeah. have their team. It's kind of yeah. like the London arguments, you know? Exactly. So teams move there and you kind of go, well, I've already got my team. So are they going to be able to sell these stadiums? Is it going to be financially viable? You know, having two teams, is that going to dilute the other team's fan base? And it's kind of, it's, it's a tricky situation, but it's a fascinating one. See how the these teams deal with it. Will it be one or two, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, this meeting on Wednesday is going to be fascinating. Yeah, the, the situation with if there's two teams, obviously you're, as you mentioned, diluting the fan base a little bit. Um, you will fill the game. If, you know, you'll have 16 weeks of games, so that'll be the positive that if the you know if you if it is diluting the fan base, that you're still going to get uh, half a full stadium every week. But I don't think you'll fill a stadium for two different teams. That's going to be the issue because a lot of the fans are going to be if it's the Chargers, a lot of the fans will still be in San Diego and so on, and the the Rams the same situation. As you mentioned, a lot of people there that are not actually from LA and they probably have their own team. A lot of people working in the media, working in Hollywood, an example, living in LA. So a lot of them maybe from different areas uh, around the US or around the world and have their teams already selected. So it's going to be. It's going to be an interesting experiment, but the NFL have put a lot of money into it, a lot of research into it, so I don't think they're going to make this decision uh, just willy-nilly. I think it's been something that has been kind of in, the, in the discussion for the last you know, 10 or 12 years, and eventually now they're coming to this decision. But it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes, and you know, fan bases out there, it's going to be really tough for the team that does move. I've seen a lot of people saying that you know, if it does move, will they continue supporting the supporting their team, even though it's further away? I think, I think you support the team anyway. But it's it's just it is a tough one in that that situation. And we've seen you know heartbreak before with the the Browns going uh, and moving. We've seen it just so many teams changing location over the last thirty or forty years. And even with uh, the Raiders, they've moved on a number of occasions. So if they move again, it'll just be like uh, they keep their suitcases packed. But uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm very fascinated to see what happens. But do you think if they decide to move that we'll see football in LA this coming season, or do you think that's too soon? Yeah, I think they're going to try to get it in, you know, as soon as they possibly can. It may not be viable to do it based on facilities and so on. I think they'll have to share or use the Coliseum in LA while another stadium is being built and everything. So it could logistically it could get tricky, but um, yeah, I think they'll do everything they can to try to you know expedite the process and get them there. I guess, I guess um, if it's St. Louis that moves and the Chargers, well, their stadiums are only half full anyway, so it mightn't be all that bad. Yeah. But <laughs> we'll, we'll exactly, see what yeah. happens. There's a you know the the wild card weekend. I'm not going to say that the games were the most in- entertaining, uh, but the finishes to them were probably some of the most uh, dramatic finishes that we've seen to a wild card weekend in a long, long time. And it's the first time in uh, actually in wild card history that all four uh, away teams have won in the wild card round. So basically, all the division winners. So the Redskins won their division, Minnesota won their division, since they won their division, Houston won their division, and they all fall at the first hurdle. So that's the first time that's ever happened uh, in the history of the playoffs. So yeah. it was it was an interesting weekend. There was a lot of talking points, uh, but hopefully this coming week we'll see some more high scoring football. But obviously, when you get to the playoffs, often you do see conservative play calling, just making sure you don't make mistakes. And this week the games could be similarly low scoring because the Patriots could be a little bit rusty getting those players back from injury. Uh, the Chiefs have been very, very good on defense, but they're conservative. Will the Steelers have Ben Roethlisberger? Big decision there against the Denver Broncos, who have been uh, consistent on defense and have been not really uh, going all out on offense. Uh, and whether they do that with Peyton Manning remains to be seen. Uh, then the Carolina Panthers, the Seahawks, I think we can all know what we'll expect there. <laughs> Similar game to that Vikings yeah. game, I'm sure. And then we'll see what Packers offense turns up this week against the Cardinals. Uh, and the Cardinals have been high-powered on offense. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. It's going, to be, it's going to be four good games. Looking forward to it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun having you back on the show, Dave. Anything that you want to give a, a quick plug to while you're on? And uh, be sure to mention your Twitter handle and everything else going on. Absolutely. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. It's it's been great as always. Um, you can follow me on Twitter if you like at davlar eighty seven. That's D A V L A R eight seven. Uh, I write for Football Guys. I do a couple of columns weekly. Um, I'm writing a betting one every week at the moment called Inside <laughs> Slant. That'll be coming out tomorrow. Uh, where I'll be giving some tips on the divisional round games, and I also do an IDP matchups uh, during the season. So make sure to check on that when we get back rolling in 2016. Yeah, obviously, Football Guys, a tremendous website, great insight and information always on there. We have a, had a lot of different guys from Football Guys on this season, and it's always uh, amazing, from Sigmund Bloom to yourself, 
good insight and information all the time when we get you on. So it's always fun to talk with you. And uh, you mentioned the betting segment coming out or the betting article coming out. Hopefully, uh, we'll agree on some of the selections. It's going to be it's going to be fun to see uh, where we stand on those. I think we pretty much agreed on what was going to happen this uh, past weekend, but kind of mixed bag for us results wise but uh, it's always interesting to get other people's views on how the games are going to go but hopefully you enjoy the rest of the playoffs absolutely thanks a million Colin hi this is former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker the host of the Ross Tucker football podcast and you are listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast so thanks again for Dave for coming on good stuff there give him a follow on Twitter um, he's a big Carolina Panthers fan so we talked after it about possibilities this coming week in the divisional round I'll be previewing all the divisional round games in full later in the week but uh, we were talking about the possibilities could his Panthers win and uh, could my Packers win face off in the NFC title game we'll see how it goes Packers have a tougher task I think uh, going forward against the Cardinals then of course the Panthers hosting the Seattle Seahawks after their win in Miami so fascinating matchups coming up and I'm looking forward to talking about them later in the week so we talked about the LA possible moves our thoughts on that uh, Miami and the Ryan Gay situation lots of other coaching things going on around the NFL people meeting up uh, getting job interviews and so on we'll see who gets picked up over the next couple of days possibly before we do the preview show we'll have some more coaching hires around the NFL as I mentioned starting the show and I'm sure if you're following us on Twitter which you should be already that is at Overtime Ireland um, if you're following us there you'll see we ran a competition over the last couple of days with the UK American Sports Store as I mentioned, their website is ukamericansportstore.co.uk. The competition for uh, an NFL item of your choice from their selection. Uh, the winner of the competition, I am pleased to say, is Thomas Ritchie. He's on Twitter. It's at Tom underscore LFC underscore 19. On his, according to his profile, he is a Denver Broncos fan and also, unfortunately for him, a Liverpool fan. Oh, Liverpool. Uh, they're going to lose this week to Arsenal. Uh, hopefully this coming, this coming midweek, Arsenal can get a win over Liverpool. So sorry, Tom, about... Uh, not getting that result in your favour but you did win the competition and we'll be in touch uh, to get you your item I'm sure it says here Denver Broncos fan pretty sure you're going to pick a Denver Broncos item from the store but the competition as I mentioned before in association with UK American Sports Store do check out their great website their range of products it's ukamericansportsstore.co.uk great friendly service so uh, do check them out and thanks again for their support in running this competition just want to give a quick shout out to as well uh, I haven't mentioned it I meant to mention it in so many different shows and just kept slipping my mind but I have my phone up in front of me here I have up Facebook and uh, I see here there's a message on my timeline from Dennis Moss I'm sure any of you people that are in the Facebook group for the NFL UK will know his story Dennis is uh, over in the USA he's uh, gone to all 31 stadiums around the NFL this season visited a game at each stadium so seen all the way around the league seen all the teams in action and uh, He's hoping to make his way all the way through and hopefully scoop himself a ticket to the Super Bowl in uh, San Francisco. We'll see how much success that gets him. But you can follow his journey on uh, the interweb and it is at therongshapedballs.com. You can check that out, see what he's doing, give him a little bit of support. Uh, He's had a phenomenal, phenomenal journey. Some great pictures up there on his uh, Facebook page. So check that out. That's Dennis. And hopefully, Dennis, you're enjoying yourself. Hopefully, the Overtime Ireland podcast is helping you get through some of these weeks. And uh, so with the competition done with uh, everything else done talked all about the games it's been a long show it's almost an hour long but uh, it's been a fun show and hopefully you've enjoyed it make sure uh, to give us a comment and a rating on itunes that you're tuning whatever you're listening to it on keep spreading the word through social media tell your friends about it uh, let's keep up on the numbers each and every week as we have been doing here on overtime ireland and uh, until we're back with the next oti podcast later in the week of course have a good one Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.